RadioInfluence.com. All right, people, you have made it. It is 2021. And everyone thought it was going to be a big party with rainbows and unicorns and champagne and Cheez-Its. And look at us now, people. We have riots and protests and unrest and sadness. And, you know, it, it has been a crazy week if you are a journalist. So in this episode, I want to let you hear from one of my favorite journalists of all time. And I don't use the word journalist lightly. I don't call myself a journalist anymore. I'm, I'm a member of the press and I am a journalist for my full-time job, but I do think people need to hear what it is that we're going through, how we got here, where we're supposed to be, and there's no one better to guide us on this crazy journey than the Bruce Gordon. Okay, first of all, hello, Bruce. Hello there, Jen. How are you? It's, that was a, a bigger uh, uh, intro than I probably needed or deserved, but thank you. Well, the thing is, um, many people know that I record these podcasts via Zoom. Um, it has not gone unnoticed that there are 32 Emmys behind your head. Um, so I'm as, as, uh, as demeaning as you'd like screen. to be. That's what? actually a green screen. I can put the lunar surface back there if I wanted to, but, uh, you know. But certainly people don't know you've spent decades, even though you still look young as a schoolboy, um, decades really in many different towns, but Philadelphia most notably, and I think for the longest time, um, being, you know, like a, a true reporter's reporter, fair to say? <laughs> Well, I, I tried to be, certainly. I, I've always said I try not to take myself too seriously, but I've always taken what I do uh, incredibly seriously. I, I don't think this is, uh, whether you're doing feature reporting or hard news reporting, it's not a job uh, that's to be taken lightly. Uh, when people invite you into your into their homes uh, to tell them what's going on, uh, you better get it right, you better be fair, uh, and you better be honest with them, and above all else, do not talk down to them. Uh, yeah. They're a lot smarter than than some of the TV consultants think they are. Um, and so you, you better shoot straight with them. And uh, I've certainly tried to do that uh, over the last uh, number of years. So, you know, so people know in a newsroom, it's kind of like when I first got to Philadelphia, you were one of the, the guys that was already there. And, you know, as a new reporter, you really like have to get your landscape and figure out like, you know, I always talk about this, like. I always say that a TV station is like a beauty salon dropped into the seventh grade, meaning <laughs> everyone wants to be the prettiest, everyone wants to be the most popular, but we're all a little bit awkward, right? Sure. And so you go in and you're looking for the, you know, the proverbial lunch table, if you will, like who's going to let me sit next to this? And by that, it's kind of like guys like you and Dave Schratweiser would say like in terms of sources, who is going to talk to you, who will answer the phone, who's going to blow you off. Oh, I think you know this, that especially in the early days, you were very helpful. And then, you know, basically, as my career went and your career went, I kind of moved into this craziness called Good Day, right? And certainly we would check in with each other. And, and Good Day is, you know, a morning show, fast, right? But at the end of the day, it's a, it's a six-hour news program. And so even if we're talking about high heels one day, we're certainly going to talk about the elections the next, Correct. Sure. In fact, I've always said, uh, and I mean this very sincerely, even though I am not a morning person in terms of my normal routine, um, mine is so fine tuned. And when I was uh, you know, going to work on a regular basis and I retired about a year ago from full time reporting. But when I would get up, I wanted to get up as late as I could get up 
to get to work. And so uh, barring World War Three going on, I would rarely have the TV on. And so I because I, I thought it would distract me and certainly Good Day would have distracted me. And the next thing you know, I'm watching 15 minutes of it. I'm getting to work late. So I didn't watch a whole lot of it. But I've always said that doing morning television is arguably the most difficult job of all because you have to be conversant in the latest high heel fashions this minute and what the Secretary of State just did last night the next minute. Uh, that is a breadth of skills uh, that is not necessarily demanded of folks in a more traditional newscast. So yeah. I, I give all the credit in the world to folks who can pull that off. So, okay. And now here we are, uh, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, either several days before we're going to have a new president or maybe even after the inauguration has happened, depending on when you've downloaded this. And, you know, it, it is interesting to me, a couple of notes, like, you know, we're recording this, you know, literally 72 hours, 36 hours from when this group of Trump supporters, uh, you know, basically stormed the Capitol. I don't think there's no other way to say what they did. They, you know, whether you are in line with the protest or not, they literally marched into the Capitol. And so the first thing, you know, as a journalist who has been to the Capitol and you have as well, the U.S. Capitol, you know, I'm like, when I tried to interview Bob Brady, you know, a Philadelphia congressman, you know, for many, many years, it took me nine guys to get in the building. There's the secretary at the front. There's the secretary's boss at the front. Then there's the security guard in this. And Larry has to call Larry's boss. Like, you know, forget about the emotion and uh, however you might have felt about it. The logistics of how those people got in. I'm sure you've looked at that with a, with a, a similar eye. Yeah, it, it was absolutely frightening to see how easily they were able to gain access to the building, what is supposed to be one of the most secure buildings in, in all of the land. Uh, and it was, it's not an, an exaggeration uh, to say it was a colossal failure on a security front, uh, just a, a mind boggling failure. And it, we're already seeing that, that heads are rolling in terms of some of the police officials who are responsible for, for keeping those crowds out of the building. Uh, it was staggering to see it. I mean, there are riots that you see and, you know, somebody's kicking in the window at a sneaker store. That's a little different than kicking in the window of the United States Capitol. Uh, it was just a, a surreal scene. Uh, but as I said on the air on Good Day just a couple of days ago, uh, stunning, but not all that surprising, given what had been going on in the days and weeks and a couple of months leading up to it. Not all that surprising. And so here's where I want to get to you a little bit. So, you know, the COVID thing, you know, I have friends on both sides of the political aisle. And I think the one thing that we've learned is that with social media, with the newspapers, we all feel that we're a little smarter than we were maybe 20 years ago. I think the average person feels well more informed and they, get, they have a choice of news outlets, right? So this is my point. Like, my friends who are Republican-leaning, Trump supporters or not, whatever, they look at what happens, and they will tell me to my face that what I've reported is wrong. And in an instance like where we all are watching um, people storm the Capitol, I feel like we all watched that. We watched largely men in Trump paraphernalia, walk into the building uh, without permission, right? That's a, that's a, that's a nice, the nicest way you can say it. I remember the freaking OJ thing where he's running around LA in a Bronco. No one ever said the news media is making this up. 
we watched this. There are certainly analysts, talk show hosts that are now sitting at anchor desks on every cable channel who certainly have a political leaning. But it, when it, my thing is, we all watched the same thing. And then there are people who are saying that we who are recorders of history, that's really what a reporter is, sure. is part of it, that we're lying about it. So yeah. how did we get there? <laughs> Don't believe your lying eyes. Believe what I'm telling you is kind of <laughs> where we are right now. Um, look, back when I was a, a young, young person, it was almost unheard of. Now, one could argue that back in the back in the day, so to speak, when there was a handful of TV networks uh, that other voices were were stifled. Uh, and there's some absolutely some legitimacy to that. But one of the things that you did not see back in the day, and I've said this in conversations to lots of folks, back in the day when the, the three anchors were all white middle-aged men, Dan Rather at CBS, Tom Brokaw at NBC, Peter Jennings at ABC, one of the things you would never have heard is one of those people at one of those networks wildly criticizing, sharply criticizing someone at the other network or how they covered a story, what they did, what they didn't do, how they covered something or didn't cover it. You just wouldn't have heard that. Nowadays, it is absolutely commonplace for networks and various media outlets to be sharply critical of the others, and in a way that is designed very clearly to sow distrust and to basically say, you can't trust that other network, that other media source. And so there's that. And that's been building now for 20, 25 years. But I think what has happened, and, and I'm sure you've seen this, and I know your, your listeners and, and viewers uh, on TV will probably acknowledge this. In this day and age, there are so many media options that you can tailor your media diet to the media foods, if you will, that you want to consume. And so people don't necessarily in this day and age want to be informed. They want to be affirmed. They want their news source to tell them what they already believe, confirm it, because let's face it, one of the things I think I've learned in 40 years of reporting was a little something about human nature. And we all like to think that we're pretty smart, that we're pretty savvy, uh, and that we know what's going on. And there's nothing like an expert, quote unquote, on TV telling me, you know that thing you already think, Bruce? Well, I'm going to tell you that you're right. You're right for this reason and this reason and this reason. And that makes me as a viewer or a listener feel pretty good about myself. And I think that is another part of the problem nowadays, which is that everybody gets their own media diet. As you well know, look, there are 30 different important stories that might happen in a given day. And one network that leans left might decide these five stories are the ones we're going to focus on like a laser beam. And another network is going to take five completely separate stories and they're going to focus like a laser on those stories. Now, all 10 of those stories were part of that 30 story media world that you could have reported on, but one side wants to report on one, one on the other. They're true as far as they go, but there's no context to it. It's one is designed, the left is designed to bash the right, the right's designed to bash the left. And again, these media silos develop where you get your views and your opinions affirmed but you're not necessarily being informed. So, which is very sad, right? It's it very sad. And, you know, it's interesting, like when I started my career and still to this day, like when people wanted to come at me, the Jen Fred, one of your favorite people, <laughs> oh, America's, America's best friend. Just, America's you know, sweetheart. But the podcast is called America's best friend. Um, <laughs> they would come at me about my makeup, my outfit, uh, certainly when I first got here and I didn't know too much about the Eagles, uh, you know, that I didn't understand the history of the veteran stadium 
Um, but they never came at me about being dumb or being motivated to hide the truth. Like right. Right. So, being sort of intellectually dishonest. That was not something you heard. Yeah. Right. And so it's interesting that you, it, it, you know, I had not heard the point about the different networks killing each other. Cause you're right. Like, especially the cable wars, right? Like it's, it's, you know, you'll hear them in the middle, but when, when I, my biggest thing is like these live events that we are all watching together. So certainly you can have Chris Cuomo or Sean Hannity, talking about, as you say, whatever of the five things they'd like to talk about for the day, that thing, I think I've, myself, I've already gotten used to it. My thing is more like, okay, we all watch Dr. Fauci get on TV. And whether you like the guy or hate the guy, certainly in March, we knew nothing about this virus. And he said that. He never said, yo, people, I've got this. He, when the whole you know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. People use the word flip-flopping, which of course now is indicative of telling the truth and lying. Right. The dude just didn't even know what the hell was going on, Bruce, right? And I think, yeah. I thought there was great uh, value in his honesty of saying, we don't know what the hell's going on. And I think, so my biggest thing is like, as I say, the OJ Bronco thing for me is, a is you know, 9-11, there are clearly people that deny that people died on 9-11, despite the fact that all of us watched buildings. They really think that like a movie director went to lower Manhattan and built a set. And that is like, I'm just, maybe I'm naive. I think you know I'm naive. Like how the hell did, and again with these, you know, again, I was in New York State, I don't know, you know, months ago. And they were like, saying that Cuomo didn't say things that he did. And I'm like, we put this guy on TV every day. Like there's no, like, you know, when it's one thing, when you have an agenda, you are picking the topic, but when the live thing is happening, I mean, certainly there's many groups of people that went into the thing that happened at the Capitol, but there's no denying that many of the people there were wearing like a Trump t-shirt. Right. right. I mean, well, and even there, though, what you get is what what I've heard already is that this was a so-called false flag operation. In other words, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. They will tell you, you know, uh, if I'm on team A, I'm going to act up and do things that are terrible, but I'm going to do it wearing team B's jersey. So they're dressed or up. They're like Biden people that are dressed up. Well, that's that's the claim. Literally, that's the claim. And again, you get just so far down the rabbit hole of some of these conspiracy theories, and there is no arguing with folks, because frankly, the more you point out the illogic in what they're saying, the more that is proof to them of how Machiavellian and how clever this scheme was that, you know, in the case of, of this whole notion of a rigged election, I've said to people, look, odd thing for a journalist to say, don't take my word for it. Look at this from the standpoint of these are allegations, the vast majority of which that never even made it into a courtroom, because while you can sit there and tell me anything you want to tell me at a news conference outside of a landscaping office, you can't do that in a court of law because there are actual penalties for that. You can lie to me as a reporter, uh, and there's not a whole lot I can do about that other than hopefully try to set people straight. You can't do that in court. So most of these allegations never even made it into a courtroom. Those that did were shot down left and right as for because of matters of fact, matters of law, matters of standing, matters of timeliness. And in many cases, they were shot down by judges who were nominated by President Trump in the first place. So unless you think all of those folks were somehow involved in this grand conspiracy, I don't know what much more I don't know what much more I can tell you than 
This is how it played out, folks. There just isn't the evidence that you claim. What I thought was interesting, I spent my evening, I think I said on the air, I watched the, um, must have been the Eagles uh, game against Washington. Uh, and I watched it with the sound down so I could listen to the hour and two minute phone call between President Trump and Brad Raffensperger, the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, where yeah. Mr. Trump was asking him to, quote unquote, find votes. And while I think the, the conversation wasn't quite as outrageous as some people thought it was when you listen to the whole context of it, uh, there was still this notion of the president simply not believing what Mr. Raffensperger was saying and somehow believing that if you had if you attach a specific number to the wild allegation, that makes it more legitimate. In other words, don't just say, well, I understand that people who are dead were voting. If you say we have reason to believe 7,283 dead people voted, that certainly sounds more legitimate. The problem is Raffensperger repeatedly came back and said, that's fine, Mr. President, but your numbers are simply wrong. We've investigated this and this and this. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation has investigated. The FBI has investigated. Your numbers are simply wrong. But again, in this day and age where you simply cannot convince people by showing them here are the actual numbers. No, you're just being naive. You're a tool of big tech. You're venal and uh, not to be trusted. Uh, you're not just wrong, mind you. And God knows I've been wrong any number of occasions in my career as a reporter. Um, and frankly, I brooded about a mistake that I might have made on the air for hours. I would bring it home with me and lose sleep over it because the idea of making a mistake of any significance really tore at me. My job is to get it right and to tell people what's going on. But this idea of coming at things with an agenda or deliberately deceiving people, folks who put out this information that's been deceptively edited for their own agenda, I must be naive because I just can't imagine someone doing that and sleeping well at night who deliberately puts that kind of information out. But back to your broader point, it's just difficult to argue with folks who, no matter what you say, no matter how illogical what they're saying is, well, that's just proof that you don't understand the conspiracy like I understand the conspiracy. It's yeah. incredibly frustrating. So I remember, you know, to your point, like there are like um, hallowed grounds, if you will, in the United States. And certainly the U.S. Capitol is one. The White House is one. Um, you know, you mentioned Veterans Stadium. That's one. Veterans Stadium is one. Bruce's house, because uh, there's good food in there usually. Um, so here's the thing. Like, I remember in the beginning of the Trump presidency, and, and just to be, you know, very, very open and honest, you know, when back in the when he decided he was going to run, I'll, I'll say this. I've said it privately. I was like, you know what? This is a breath of fresh air. You know, he's a business person. He's new. Maybe, you know, he'll inspire other people like him. I think I don't think anyone wants these like, you know, these these look, we got a Biden guy, which is basically a Clinton guy, which is basically part of these like legacies of families. Right. I don't think anyone really wants that. I think in America, we want the new hot thing. You know, we sure, want Instagram. We want that. I don't think no one no one wants to be voting between two plus 70 white guys, white guys. Right. So in the beginning of the Trump presidency, I was kind of like, okay, this is cool. Like, you know, Ivanka's got a good outfit. Like, it, you know, it's, there was something new to it, right? In a way that there was something very new when Barack Obama decided he wanted to run for president. A similar, you know, thing. Like an excitement, if you will. Then the president, like, I don't even know how many days it was into the presidency, starts kicking people out of the White House. And by people, I do mean like the Washington Post reporters. And I understand that people feel some kind of way about the Washington Post at this point. But the fact that he was like, oh yeah, you don't get to come in. And oh yeah, you don't get to ask those questions. My, 
seeing that and seeing where we are now today in 2021, like, who's going to fix this shit, Bruce? Are we going to, is there, is, can we, because let me tell you something. And I tell both, I have friends on both sides of the aisle. The Democrat friends that I have, they're liberal leaning. They're like, can you believe these blah, 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 Republicans? And they really believe this. I'm like, hey guys, they also believe they're the smartest. So as you say, where we begin, both of these groups, or maybe all seven of these groups, because within the two major groups, of course, there's people who feel subsets, right? Like, how are these people, how are we going to get back together? Like a hundred years ago, I was working in Texas when the governor became this guy, George Bush, right? And no one really knew that much about him. He owned the Texas Rangers. He was a rich guy's son, the president's son, if you will. And one of the things that he did in his first cabinet as the governor of Texas is he had white people, black people, Democrats, Republicans. You know, certainly he had a big group of people to choose from because he didn't owe anyone any political favors. And he had a dad that was pretty well connected within the political landscape, right? And I look at that and I think, you know, however you felt about George Bush Jr. as a president, as a governor of Texas, he was pretty uh, progressive, especially for where he came from, right? Again, he came from another political dynasty, the Reagans, right? Right. So is there a way, do you, in your forecasting, on your weather map of political activism or intention, are we getting back together? Is this a big divorce? Like, should we move to Canada? What, what is my plan? Well, I wish I could say that there was an easy answer. I don't see an easy answer until we get around to this notion that I may disagree with you, but that doesn't mean that you're either a sucker who's just too naive to figure out the real truth or you have some sort of evil intention. We can disagree. It's it's an old cliche, but you can disagree without being disagreeable. And it's simply we've gotten way past that point now. um, And it's gotten to the point where you're not just wrong, you're evil. Uh, And that is a tough thing to get past. And and I wish I had the answer for it. Um, You know, sometimes it takes the kind of thing we saw at the Capitol. We did see uh, a handful of Republican senators, for example, who were bent on challenging these uh, these elector slates um, back down, sort of take a step back from the from the cliff when they saw what had literally happened just hours earlier. But on the House side, you really didn't see that. Um, on the House side, it, it's sort of interesting the difference between being a U.S. representative and a senator. A senator, even in the reddest or bluest states, has to rely on being at least somewhat moderate uh, to be able to appeal to enough voters to win a statewide election. Members of the House, more than 130 or 40 of whom or so, stuck with their objections. Um, those are folks who are in individual congressional districts, which may be super blue or, in this case, super red. And so there's no price to be paid for this. In fact, their constituents absolutely want them to do this. And that's one of the things I always say to people when they say, well, you know, how can this guy, you know, fill in the name of the of the politician you hate the most? Uh, if you're a Republican, how can Nancy Pelosi continue to get, uh, you know, reelected? What a, what a terrible person she is. Well, OK, but the people on her congressional district, that's what they want. Similarly, a Democrat says Mitch McConnell as a senator. In Kentucky, what are they thinking? Well, the folks in Kentucky have voted him into that office on multiple occasions. So that's what they want. So they're just as angry and, and feel you're just as dumb to elect your person as they are to have elected their person. It, you know, you've seen these uh, polls all the time about the uh, congressional uh, approval ratings. They're through the floor. I mean, they're just terrible. 
Yeah. Nobody likes Congress, but everybody revotes their own person back into office. So it's all, it's again, this human nature that you learn as a reporter. I'm smarter than everybody else. My congressional person is brilliant. All the others, <laughs> they should be voted out. But I voted my person in 12 consecutive elections because they're brilliant. All the others, though, they should go. I mean, that's how we think of this stuff. You know, I have always been a registered independent, and I am an independent, and that you know pisses my dad off because he would like me to have a vote in the primary, and I'm like, you can have my vote in the primary, Dad. Good luck. Of course, you know he's now vote. He's he's uh, I I you know he's written enough letters to the editor that I think I can tell you he's voted for Hillary and Barack Obama, even though he's a registered Republican because he likes quote screwing with the primaries in his state of Florida. So. Um, so I always say when people ask me about voting that I am in a unique position as a reporter, anchor, whatever, that I get to meet most of the people I am voting for. And I think in your career, certainly that was the case. And so I always say that, you know, whether you're whether you have an R next to your name or a D next to your name, when I go and vote, because I have, again, mostly met these people I vote on whether or not I think when they are called to do something that is difficult, if they will do what it is that I think is right. Me, Jen Fred, sure. the uh, sayer of all things right. Absolutely. It, it's really like, you know, everyone has these friends in their life and you're like, okay, you know, if, if Bob's buying a lottery ticket, I'm not going to buy a lottery ticket with Bob because if we win, he's never giving me the money. So I'm going to go with Dave because he's, he's cool. He'll give me the money. I think... I know it's like we all need those little bracelets. What would blank do? And we all know somebody like that. And in some cases, it's a cautionary tale. If they would do it, we would not do it. Right. Like, and mm. so I wonder if maybe part of this is getting to know these people more as humans. You know, I do think that sometimes when, you know, Rick Santorum, you know, was known as some guy that was, you know, such a Republican, very pro-life, made some decisions that upset a lot of people in many ways and other people cheered. But you put Rick Santorum, a Republican, on CNN next to a thousand Democrats and you get to see his he's a family guy. Right. He's got kids. He's got a wife. Like you see his humanity or lack thereof sometimes. And I wonder if that, too, if the press will. Again, I keep going back to this idea of like the live interview or the live event, because we all are sharing in that. And there's and for me and you no way to distort that, you know. Certainly we could talk about these movie sets and all that jazz, but I do think maybe part of it is like, you know, we saw Governor Cuomo. He was kind of crabby, wrinkled skin, not for me. Um, but, you know, we saw Kaylee, what's her name? Gorgeous, smart as a whip. Whether whether you like what she's saying to defend the president or not, I was with my girlfriends, I'm like, whoever picked this chick out of a batch is, you know, I hate to say that as a woman, obviously, but, you know, I was like, she's freaking smart. Like I remember her first press conference they were talking about something with the COVID being like the flu and everything. And she pulled up a graphic of all three networks saying exactly what the president had said. So it nullified this longstanding uh, Democrat leaning argument that he had ignored it initially. My point here is, do you think we're going to have to get to know humans more to come to the point where we can say, I will allow this guy to be different and we can proceed and, and try to find a middle ground somewhere. I do think that getting to meet someone uh, on a personal level is immensely helpful because I do think you can get past it when you when you actually spend a few minutes with someone, um, you know, you can get past the caricature of them. The challenge, of course, is 
we're a nation of 330 million people. And so the, the politics gets done in any kind of state with any kind of meaningful population on television. And the folks who create these attack ads, I've done more than my share of reporting uh, on the creation of attack ads and so forth. The fact is they exist because they work. Um, and when you repeat uh, an allegation against someone as extreme as it may be, you know, if this person gets in office, X, Y, Z, awful things are going to happen. You repeat it often enough uh, and absent anything that really fully explains the other side of that argument, you start to believe it. And so you believe the absolute worst in people. And again, it's this notion of they're not just wrong on the issues. They're fundamentally bad people. Democrats say it about Republicans. Republicans say it about Democrats. Uh, it's equal opportunity, largely equal opportunity bashing. Uh, and we've got to find a way uh, around it. There are a handful of in, in Congress, there's a group called the Problem Solvers Caucus, Um and in some cases, it's a function, at least in the House, it's a function of drawing congressional districts, deliberately drawing congressional districts that have a pretty good mix of Democrats and Republicans. You have a guy, you know, you have a congressional district that is essentially the entirety of Bucks County, um, and you have fairly moderate Republicans and Democrats in that district. And that's because that's the only folks who can win there. You can't throw red meat at the Republican side or the Democrat side and win in that district. And so maybe we need to be drawing the districts exactly in that way, as opposed to what we now do, which is, of course, use all sorts of analytics to draw congressional districts in such a way as to pack all the members of one party in a couple of districts and then spread out your folks in a 55-45 advantage in all the other districts. And you can wind up grabbing more seats than your party probably really deserves. But if we were to draw congressional districts in such a way that you really had to appeal to the middle, maybe we get somewhere. Maybe we draw some people out who truly are moderate, who don't toe the party line. And one other issue, and sort of digging back to the sort of the cable news mindset that we talked about, Look, one of the things that I began doing several months ago, as, as you may know, uh, is, of course, doing some political analysis work on Good Day Philadelphia. And Ooh, I like that the, show. You know, it's a, I, I half laughed. I told you I was not a morning TV person. I think I've probably been on it more than I had watched it uh, prior, prior to starting there. And I don't say that as an insult to the program, merely my own morning routine. Um, Just but, as a brief aside, you know that there's 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 you've been gone, what, a year almost? I think the two days ago, three days ago, was exactly a year. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, just so everyone knows, so I work at uh, Fox 29 in Philadelphia. We have a show called Good Day Philadelphia. It, it's hard It's hard to miss because it's on, Bruce, from 4 a.m. until 10 a.m. You would think it would be hard to miss. You can wake really? up. You can go to the post office. Post office is closed. You come back. That show's still on. You want to go for a job? Go for that job. Come back. That show's still on. Kids got to have breakfast? There have been various governments in various so, countries that have lasted shorter than one episode. Yeah, murder it? trials have happened. It, yeah, <laughs> uh, Anyway, and so there is a title that you may or may not be familiar with. Let's say, you know, Bill Cosby is found guilty and someone comes to work the next day and is unaware of that. We will say, who are you, Bruce Gordon? Because, do you know about this already? Apparently I don't. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear about the this. The whole thing is, if you missed something, anything... A World Series, a murder trial, people going to the Capitol unannounced or uninvited. If you miss it and then it is brought up in an editorial meeting or casual conversation, you're like, oh, you're Bruce. You just did a Bruce. You're like, like <laughs> well, that's nice to know. Carrie could give birth on the show 
and someone misses it and you're like, oh, Bruce Gordon. And it's sometimes used as a verb. What did you did? A, you did a Bruce? Yeah, I did, I did a Bruce. Or it's sometimes just a blanket uh, derogatory label like, oh, Bruce Gordon. I just so- <laughs> Well, it's nice to know my legacy survives me uh, in that way. Um, I have sorry, to say the that- last couple months you've been doing what? Uh, well, I've been I've been doing the political analysis work for a good day uh, and a fair amount of reading, relaxing, hiking, uh, doing a lot of things with my wife that I haven't gotten a chance to do uh, while we were both working. She's sort of in semi-retirement herself. Um, she's a scientist and continues to do work in that field, um, but uh, obviously have slowed down from the world of, uh, of day-to-day reporting. Um, so wait, so are you uh, telling me you have time to fix the world? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, I can do my part to make things just a little bit worse than they already are, I suspect. Um, what are you doing? You're helping people in different ways, right? Like, well, yeah. So what my, my point was, I was I was uh, actually had forgotten my point for a moment, but you jogged me back there. The, the discussion of Mariah Carey, I recently I quickly dozed off and then I got back into, into what we were talking about. My point is that what I try to do on the, on the Good Day program is to offer an analysis of A, what's going on, B, a little historical context uh, to it, and C, a sense of what I think is going to happen not necessarily what I hope will happen, but what I actually think will happen. And I see a lot of on cable news, a lot of experts who are probably far more in tune with the day-to-day behind the scenes players in politics than I am, for example. But what you're getting from them, because they are the designated Republican on the show, the designated Democrat on the show, conservative or liberal, and they're going to tell you what's going to happen. But in fact, it's clearly what they hope will happen. That's not giving you any information. That's telling you what's going to, that, that's like saying, well, tomorrow I think it's going to be 90 degrees and sunny. Well, it's not going to be 90 degrees and sunny, but I suspect that's what you want to hear. So that's what I tell you. And by tomorrow, you'll have forgotten that I predicted the great weather and we move on. And so, they're mad at everyone that didn't say it's going to be 95 and sunny. They're so stupid and evil for not right. saying it was going to be sunny. It's part of the weather person conspiracy, too. That's everything's a conspiracy. The weather people are all in it because they're in cahoots with the people who sell the rock salt and the shovels or whatever. And uh, apparently everybody's shovel breaks every snowstorm, too, because every time there's a snow, people are rushing out to buy a shovel like nobody thought to buy a snow shovel in the history of their life prior to today's storm. But that's another. Right. And the that's just an old man ranting at the clouds. Now, listen, okay, what are you doing for work? If people need to find you some other way than this great podcast, like what the hell are you doing to stay busy? Well, again, uh, I'm keeping busy mostly with, uh, I, I do a, a work on a, uh, a project that has been sort of a, uh, a labor of love for me. And, and I, it's, I started to get it off the ground uh, with classic Gordon timing uh, right about the time that the world shut down. So my timing I, I probably could have picked worse timing, but I would have had to really work at it to do that. Listen, um, David Hasselhoff released his music on the time of the uh, the OJ. You know this, right? Oh, I did not. I was so. What you're saying is you're about to hassle the Hoff. Is that what's about? No, to you're the same way. Hasselhoff would tell you he could have been the next, you know, Barry Manilow in terms the next of David Soul or, or Bobby Sherman. Right, but the OJ piece uh, happened, and no one paid attention to his album release. So that's probably the best thing that could have happened to his album that no one paid attention. So the to. Wuhan government got in the way of your business endeavor, is what I'm hearing. Well, to a degree, yes. Am I uh, what I'm the business that I'm uh, Gordon Gordon Media Solutions is is what it's called, and what I'm attempting to do is to sort of use 40 years of of knowledge of how television news works and how the news business in general works. Uh, in a nutshell, to 
to help, especially small businesses, small not-for-profits, maybe a small law firm, a small police department, folks who want and need media coverage but don't have $10,000 a month to pay for a retainer for a big public relations firm. There are things that you can know and should know that will get your business on television to tell your story. There's not a, for just as an example, there's not a tax preparer in the world who doesn't see on television every February or March the guy down the street who does the exact same job they do, but somehow he's on the newscast explaining the new tax laws and he says, how come that guy's on TV and my business, my work and my skill set is just as good as his. I'm not on TV. There's a reason for that. And what I do in sort of a half day or so seminar that's designed to be in person and face to face, which is why I'm trying to kind of hold off on it until the world reopens. I don't think it's as effective via Zoom, for example, but is to meet with these folks, explain how the media works give them the tools they need to essentially at a basic level, be their own PR person. Um, and so basically with that, you're going to give them my phone number. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because one of the things that I always recommend to people and will recommend in this is that sending out a blanket email, um, is not really helpful. You, you've got to target your emails, target and so forth. I somehow, I don't know whether this was some, maybe it was a good day. Somebody had good day. I think, must have uh, sent this out as a joke one time. Uh, and for the, about 10 years, I would get PR pitches for um, what clearly folks who believed I was a morning show segment producer. So I would get emails such as, you know, um, you know, 80% of American are winning, American women are wearing ill-fitting bras. Would you like to produce a segment about, you know, better fitting? No, I really have absolutely no intention of doing that. But somehow I got thousands of those kinds of emails because someone in a PR firm decided, let's blast this out like a shotgun and somebody will pay attention to it. So I get those. There's a, there's something called Swamp Butt. I think it's a pair of underwear that they send me. And I'm like, I am, my butt has not been in a swamp. And so I don't need your product swamp, butt. Um, but the other you thing can't that I do with the title though, I like the title. The title's catchy. It's a grabber, if you will. Um, the thing that I get now, because I travel internationally sometimes when I do these movie junkets and I use the free Wi-Fi in the airports, mm-hmm. I am invited to the Vienna film festival to the New Zealand, uh, you know, sheep herders, uh, you know, um, group, um, you know, any kind of anything from any Wi-Fi service I've ever used. They, I'm in. So basically I'm in. All right. So here's the thing. As we wrap it up, basically we're not going to get fixed soon, but we should listen to each other a little bit more. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Be willing to be open to someone else's point of view and and at minimum, at a very minimum, and this would be sort of just the starter position, at a starter position, don't assume that the other person who disagrees with you is A, a complete sucker for having fallen for the conspiracy that you were sharp enough to figure out, and B, is not just the tool of, again, fill in the blank, big government, big tech, the swamp, whatever it is. Assume, right, <laughs> assume uh, that they're wearing regular underwear and not the swamp butt underwear um, and that they actually have a brain as well. And they're not just some evil person simply because they hold a different uh, point of view uh, than your own. That might be a starting position because we've got a lot of work to do. As, as the events of this week showed, we have got a long way to go. Uh, but I will say this, everyone, as, as the as the cranky old man of, of the newsroom, um, I... 
have enough of a sense of history to know that almost anything that happens today has happened before and likely worse. I mentioned on Good Day, you know, just a couple of days ago, 160 years ago, exactly at this time, between the election and the inauguration of Abraham Lincoln, seven states left the Union, just quit, took their ball and went home. Mm-hmm. Five weeks after that inauguration, we were in a shooting war, an actual civil war in this country. So virtually everything that happens nowadays, we may think it's the most amazing and horrible thing ever. And make no mistake, some of it is absolutely horrible. We've had it before, we've dealt with it before, and we've come back and hopefully we've learned a few things along the way. Uh, That's a tiny shred of good news uh, right there is that we can overcome this stuff if we come together. As you well remember, Jen, after 9-11, we actually came together. Didn't last long, sadly, but we came together and said, wait a minute, while we're bickering with each other, we were attacked. And now let's kind of focus our attention on, on getting together and, and, and doing the right thing. Again, sadly, it did not last long. Sadly, we learned some of the wrong lessons. Uh, but for a brief shining moment there, to, to quote the Olympic song, uh, we actually were kind of working together as, a, as one nation. Um, let's hope we can get back to it. I love it. All right. So this was fun. I think we, we, it was. we, we covered some things. Um, I'd like you to subscribe to my podcast. It's called America's Best Friend. America's Best Friend. Got it. All right. It's on Apple. Dot com, you're saying. Is that the email? It's not a dot com. It's just a podcast. It's basically like everything you need, everything you've needed for 40 years. And typically there's drinking. Maybe the next time. I know. But it was. You had me at drinking. The rest of it was just gravy, really. (laughs) Anyway, bottom line, his name is Bruce Gordon. Find him on Facebook. Find him on all the different social media platforms. And if you do have a small business or uh, you just need some help, he's the guy to call. How do I know this? Because he is the guy that I called. People love each other, hug each other. I'm sorry. Throw a beer across the street at your neighbor because you're not allowed to hug him. But uh, let's get a little closer to being a little more nicer to each other. Bye, guys. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. Thank you.